Welcome to Sports with Chris Rawl, where shockingly I am Chris Rawl. On today's show, how games between elite teams are won upon the margins. Before we get there, I want to give you one reason why gambling should be legal everywhere. Tonight, there's a crisis mode for the Kansas City Chiefs, who are hosting the New York Giants on Monday Night Football. Kansas City is favored by 10. I will, with great, great resentment, and unwillingness take Kansas City minus 10. I need somebody on planet Earth to explain to me what is going on with the Chiefs. Somebody, anybody, if you know what is happening, email chris at ceo.com. I would love to know. First and foremost, the thing that I do know, they have an atrocious defense, which that's not news to anybody. What is and what is shocking is that Patrick Mahomes is making insane in a very bad way plays multiple times per week. He's throwing picks, he's fumbling, he's wandering around. At the end of their last game, he got. What looked like a concussion and Kansas City said no, but we didn't put him back in the game. We're seeing fumbles from their entire skill core. I mean, Tyree Kill's putting it on the ground. Uh, anybody and everybody, Mikkel Hardman, Byron Pringle, it doesn't matter. If they cannot blow out the New York Giants and Daniel Jones and Jason Garrett, is it not time to kiss this team goodbye for the season? That's the logic behind betting the Chiefs minus 10. It is not going to be pretty. It is not going to be fun. And again, I do this with a great sadness in my heart. However, we have our reason why gambling should be legal everywhere. Actually, we don't even need a reason. This is just a simple thing that legislators should be able to put into a bill and make legal everywhere. And now to the show. I have been doing a lot of reading this week, and I came across two things that for the purpose of today's show, I would like to share with all of you. The first comes from Zach Lowe of ESPN, an NBA writer that I really like. He publishes a column every Friday, 10 things I like, 10 things I don't. There was a line within last Friday's column, simple, but really spoke to me, said games between elite teams are won on the margins. Uh, you know how I feel about all of this, and you know that I believe very firmly in how important the margins are. And I would extrapolate that further beyond just games between elite teams. And I would say many times this matters, period, um, between teams of varying skill sets and within the world of gambling on a spread or a total, the margins matter immensely. So I come across something else last week because I'm also reading uh, some poetry at the same time, and I'm reading a collection of poems from a woman named Liesl Mueller, who won the Pulitzer Prize for poetry, passed away last year, and she wrote a poem called Alive Together. There's an excerpt within that poem that I want to share. This is it. The odds against us are endless. Our chances of being alive together, statistically non-existent. Still, we have made it. Alive in a time where rationalists in square hats and hatless Jehovah's Witnesses agree it is almost over. End quote. So that's a really, it's a really good poem in general, but it's also a really uh, cool and onducing thought, something that I like to derive from the poetry I read. That idea of this particular event occurring and it's almost statistically non existent. In her words, right? This idea of over the course of time, think of how many people have come across planet Earth before and who will come afterwards. 
And yet you think about the relationships within your own life and you think that exact line that she says, oh, our chances of being alive together are statistically non-existent. Uh, what are the chances of being here in this particular moment connected with the people that I am connected with? So I bring that excerpt from Liesl's poem up because I think it ties together really nicely with the Zach Lowe hard sports nerd information uh, and how I interpret sports and why every single Monday I record this show, Monday on the margins, because there are so many games that I get to the end of. And I think about it just like Liza was thinking when she wrote this particular stanza. I go, what are the odds? What are the chances? Statistically speaking, what are the chances of this particular event occurring in the manner that it occurred? How can so many things happen that seem statistically improbable to alter the outcome of this game or the course of somebody's career? And, and sometimes it's so overwhelming that I go, this, the odds of this happening are statistically non-existent. I cannot fathom that this has happened. Now, a perfect example of this, and one that I've spoken about before, so I won't go into with great depth, is the career of Tom Brady, who is the winningest quarterback of all time, one of the great quarterbacks that's come through the sport. Um, but I also carry a slightly different opinion of him in how good of a quarterback he is relative to the other very best quarterbacks, because I like to separate team success from how an individual plays. Now, Tom Brady's career, it's a perfect encapsulation of Liesl Mueller's stanza. Just how is this possible? How can these things that seem like they should be random, that are on the margins, that are not controllable by this particular player, how can they all have gone his way? Tom Brady, he's appeared in 10 Super Bowls. An incredible stat. He has won seven of them. An incredible Stat. And just off the top of my head, as I was thinking about uh, just these ideas and the connection between what Lowe was writing and what Mueller's writing, I go, yeah, I mean, his first Super Bowl, early 2002, it, it is crazy that it all begins with a ref's interpretation of a rule that nobody knows about, the tuck game against the Raiders. And, and even within that, after the interpretation, a uh, fumble that would have ended the game, then it goes back to the Patriots. We still have to have Adam Vinatieri, Booten, Multiple field goals, one in regulation to tie, one in overtime to win against the Raiders in a blizzard snowstorm. New England, to the maximum degree, the football by all accounts is harder than a rock and feels like it's 50 pounds. And then he's got to boot another field goal through at the buzzer in the Super Bowl against the Rams to win. Uh, just margin stuff. I go, well, yeah, and then, I don't know, let's think to the start of 2015 when they're playing the Seahawks and all Seattle has to do is punch the ball in. Who do they have in the backfield? Marshawn Lynch, probably the number one person you would want to punch a football in from the one yard line to win the Super Bowl. And what series of events happens? They call a pass and Malcolm Butler jumps it and that's the game. Or 2012. Uh, Baltimore Ravens, AFC title game against the New England Patriots. Billy Cundiff has a 32-yard field goal to send that game into overtime and he just misses it at the buzzer. Misses a 32-yard field goal. What are the chances of a kicker having a 32-yard field goal, an NFL kicker, and missing it at a point where it would send the AFC title game to overtime. That's another Super Bowl appearance. Or 
2017 against the Falcons. They're down 28 to three. And I could write a novel or record shows for all of time about just the particular individual events that went into this game. And I would have the exact same feeling that Liza Mueller had when she wrote the words, our chances of being alive together, statistically non-existent. That is that game. 28-3 down, all the things that have to occur. They're blowing pass protections and Dante Hightower stripping Matt Ryan and that's jump-starting the comeback. And it all kind of culminates in the Falcons getting into field goal range. All they need is a field goal to seal it. And they go backwards. Kyle Shanahan's calling passes. Uh, Matt Ryan's duffing it into the ground. And then they're taking a holding penalty and it's backing them up. And by the time they know it, they got a punt. New England comes down and scores to tie the game, gets the coin flip, goes down, scores to win the game in overtime. How about 2019? D Ford lines up offsides in the AFC title game on what would be the game-sealing interception. He just lines up there. He doesn't affect the play. His hand is offsides by another hand. This is the kind of stuff. And, and I bring this up not as a diss on Tom Brady. Uh, people who really like Tom Brady, they always get fired up when I talk about this kind of stuff. And that's not why I bring it up. It, it's because I always want to show that from a team perspective, especially within a sport like the NFL, if you are good, you put your team in position where the margins matter. And if your team is deep and well-rounded and coached well, as the Patriots were all of his career and as the Buccaneers have been in his short stint there, then you trust more times than not, these will go in our favor. Now, the level that it has gone in favor of the Patriots throughout his career and the Buccaneers within the last two years, again, it defies comprehension for my brain. My brain that processes sports in this particular way, which is, hey, quarterbacks, they do affect the game a lot, but not very much, maybe 15% or something. And the rest, it's just kind of up to other players and up to coaches. And then it's up to the random occurrences that happen within this universe. Similar to the random occurrences that placed you here at this particular time where you were able to formulate relationships with the people in your life that you have relationships with. That's how I think about life. That is how I think about sports. So I bring all this up. And I really want to concentrate on one game in particular, though I will talk briefly about many more. The one game occurred on Thursday night. We're removed from it. I just haven't had time to talk about it or record it. We're getting into it now. It's the Green Bay Packers, my favorite team, playing on the road against the Arizona Cardinals. Packers entered the game as six and a half point favorites. Total was set at 50 and a half. And I was ready to punt on the game going in. Because the Packers were the walking wounded coming in and they left even more wounded and less walking coming into the game. They're missing their top three wideouts. Alan Lazard, Marcus Valdez-Scantling, most notably Devontae Adams. They were missing their top two cornerbacks. Jair Alexander, one of the best cornerbacks in the league, and Kevin King, their number two cornerback who is not that good, but at least he's a live, warm body that you can put a cornerback. They're missing their best pass rushers, Darius Smith, one of the most consistent and best pass rushers in football over the last three years. They're missing their best offensive lineman, one of the best left tackles in the league, David Bakhtiari. They did not have their defensive coordinator, Joe Barry, who was out because of COVID protocol. So they have 
an amalgamation of coaches relaying play calls to one another and trying to decide what defense to play. On top of that, the Packers were playing on a short week, on a Thursday night. So they have minimal time to prepare with a minimal roster within the game. They end up losing their starting tight end, Robert Tunyon, to a torn ACL. It was just a recipe for Green Bay to say, we need to get the hell out of this game. And we're going to be 6-2 and two and we'll be fine. And we'll have 10 days to prepare for Kansas City. And then we can worry about things from that point forward. And instead, what occurred was a masterclass of a, perf- of a performance, conceptually, from Aaron Rodgers and Matt LaFleur. Because they understood a very important thing about how we could win this particular game. And it was, we got to shrink the clock. Because if you shrink the clock, then you maximize the margins. There are less possessions per team, and those possessions take on the utmost of importance. And if a mistake is made, that mistake is magnified immensely if you shrink the clock. Packers do. They control the ball for over 37 minutes of game time. Rodgers is running the play clock down every single time to inside of five seconds. You can tell it was a concerted effort to shrink the clock, maximize the margins. Aaron Jones, he's never run harder in a game. A.J. Dillon, never run harder in a game. Rodgers is trying to get people up to the line and aligned, and it's people who've not really ever played, and they don't know the plays half the time. So Green Bay's burning timeouts because nobody knows what to do. And then when they're out of timeouts, they're taking delay of games because people can't get properly aligned. Josiah DeGuaro's running around and going, huh? And Juwan Winfrey's going, huh? Amari Rogers, rookie's going, huh? That's what this game was. But because of the idea behind how Rogers and LaFleur were going to play this game, they make the margins matter. So in this particular instance, the margins go in favor of Green Bay. The swing plays, the mistakes that are maximized because of this idea, well, Rondell Moore flubs a punt and pretends like he didn't touch it, which is crazy because if you're in his shoes, you know damn well that you touched it and you know that replay exists. And so hitting the ball with your hand and then putting your hands back and going, no, no, I didn't do anything. And your teammate's not going to go and try to run and jump on the ball. And Green Bay is. Well, that's going to go to review, and it's going to set up Green Bay with a short field. Another mistake is Kyler Murray throwing a bad pass on a third and long screenplay to Rondell Moore, and ball gets tipped up in the air, Green Bay interception. That sets up two Green Bay scoring drives. That's how you make the margins matter. You shrink the clock, and you don't make mistakes. Um, Rodgers did not make mistakes, and Rodgers and LaFleur together as quarterback and play caller. They shrunk the clock. So it's 24-21, Green Bay. And they're trying to punch in the game-sealing touchdown, which would also, obviously at 24-21, hit the over. And Aaron Jones scores a touchdown. I'm fist-pumping and fired up because this is going to be a sweet win for Green Bay. Wow, and now I can see the path to Green Bay trying to get the one seed in the NFC starting to crystallize a little bit and that'd be crazy if they could get the bye that'd be so helpful and 
goes to replay. This is the margins. Okay. Sometimes it's one of your players making a play on the fringe of your roster. Sometimes it's somebody missing a block. Sometimes it's referees. Talk about this a lot. They have a unfairly weighted ability to impact the game just by virtue of saying this is what it is, even though nobody really understands why. Aaron Jones scores a touchdown. You can't tell if it's not a touchdown via replay. You just can't. There's no replay that anybody saw that would indicate we can overturn this touchdown. And the refs come back and say, after review, uh, it's not a touchdown. We're not really going to explain why, because the broadcast, the ref expert, and I say that with great irony and air quotes, the ref expert's going, yeah, I don't know how they overturned that. That doesn't really make any sense, but well, what do you do? Let's just, let's just move on. Well, it ends up mattering, because sometimes the margins really come back to bite you. And in this particular instance, Green Bay, which now has the ball at the half-inch line, they run two more plays and they stall out. They don't get them. And now the under is still cashing. And the Cardinals have a chance to drive down and get a field goal to tie and send the game to overtime or get a touchdown to win. And they start zipping down the field. 99 and a half yards, they're zipping down, completing passes, Kyler's making plays. And it sets up the climactic sequence of the game. It's second and goal at the Green Bay 5. There's 15 seconds left on the clock. And Arizona's out of timeout. So you know that they have to throw and they have to throw to the end zone because to get tackled in play is doomsday scenario. They're probably not going to be able to get a field goal off. And this is one of those moments that ties into the larger scheme of this game. A lot of the plays that I've already discussed and plays that I'm not even discussing because there's so many. I just think about what are the chances of these things occurring in order to ensure that Green Bay wins this particular game. You could do this for every game. You can extrapolate it across a season or a career or all of time if you really wanted to. Uh, Packers, they call a cover zero, send in the house, everybody's in man coverage. So A.J. Green's matched up against Rasul Douglas on the edge. Tyler Murray says, I'm throwing that way, and there's a miscommunication. A.J. Green, nobody really knows what he's doing. He runs out there, and he doesn't pay full attention. And Rasul Douglas, a man who was signed off of the Arizona Cardinal practice squad a month ago because Green Bay is so thin at secondary, and they needed warm, live bodies that have some semblance in their brain of how to try and cover an NFL wideout. Not necessarily do it particularly well, but just at least I know what the idea is behind trying to cover an NFL wide. Rasul Douglas, he's there in single coverage and he puts his hand out on this Kyler Murray bullet and it hits it and it plops up in the air. He grabs it. Really great play on his part as he's running out of bounds and then he's waving goodbye to the crowd. And and I'm having this feeling of just, oh, I needed this win. This came at a very, very good time for me. And I'm also just thinking about all of these events, the statistical non-existence of how can all these things have strung together to A, make Green Bay win, and B, if you're a gambler, what are the chances that all of these things could occur to ensure that overbetters don't have a winning ticket? This is where the margins matter. Games between elite teams, which I feel comfortable saying both of these teams are, even Green Bay in their diminished state, as long as Aaron Rodgers is playing. 
And from a gambling perspective, just virtually every bet you place, you could go insane thinking about what goes into a bet being won or lost. So if you'll allow me a moment, I'd like to profess my love for Aaron Rodgers a little bit further because that's tradition whenever a mic is put in front of my face. And after Thursday night, I feel like I have a little opportunity to expound upon that particular love. His box score, it's nothing special whatsoever. It's 22 for 37, 184 yards, it's two touchdowns, and very importantly, it's zero interceptions. Five yards per attempt. Again, that is not a good yards per attempt. If you watch the game, you get a greater sense of his impact upon it and the way that he's trying to get people lined up and the way that all these receivers are just dropping passes that are right in the numbers and the way that he's throwing the ball short again and again because they did not have a single deep threat on their entire roster. And so they were content to pick up five yards at a time. Let's shrink the clock. Let's run. Let's trust in Dylan and Jones and throw the ball to them. And let's really make the margins matter. Now, people will get fired up when Rodgers has his 350-yard, four-touchdown explosions. And I get fired up, too. There's no way around that. That's when it's the easiest to pick up on how much he impacts a football game. Where it's harder, and where I think Rodgers really separates himself as a special quarterback, is in games like this, where he has made he has made an entire career upon being able to make the margins matter no matter what, no matter who is on the field, no matter how injured his team is, no matter how poorly coached they are in the McCarthy era, no matter how decrepit the roster is that has been built around him. That's why I've always talked about Rodgers in terms of the individual and never ever talked about him in terms of how many Super Bowls does he have? What's his playoff record? What's going on here? Because I've watched every snap and I've watched his entire career. Since he very first came into the league as a starter. And I've understood a lot of things about how he plays quarterback. And the most important one is this. What he displayed on Thursday night. That hey you can put anybody around me. And I will understand what I need to do. To put our team in position where the margins matter. Now when you get into the playoffs. And it's against teams that are deeper and more talented. And coach better. As has been the case throughout the majority of Rodgers career. up until. Last year, and if they're healthy, what I think this team could be this year, well, the statistical chances of you winning multiple playoff games and getting the Super Bowl winning, that is almost non-existent. That's why he has played in one Super Bowl. That's why he's won one Super Bowl. Because when their team has been good, um, he's won one, and he's had an incredible occurrence of events to prevent him from playing for another one in 2014 with that NFC title game against Seattle. But most years, I didn't think Green Bay was a team that should be included in the small circle of championship contenders. And Rodgers, through sheer force of will and understanding that I can do anything to make the margins matter, has played into that. And some people have believed, well, why isn't Green Bay winning more Super Bowls? They're making the playoffs all the time. And I've always said, this is not a failure on part of the player. This is a failure on the part of the organization who has been in position to make the margins matter and continually been bested via coaching, via roster talent, and via simple random chance. And that's why this career has played out in the manner that it has played out. Uh, going back to the top of the show, in stark contrast to the way that 
the margins have gone Brady's way throughout the course of his career because he has been backed by a different style of organization in both of his stops. So the long-winded way of saying something that I've said before and I'll say again, this is another reminder to me personally, and a lot of people don't share this opinion, that's fine. But it's another reminder that this is why I believe that I've never watched a better quarterback than Aaron Rodgers. Because this is his singular ability that I have not seen consistently from everybody else. You can put him with anybody and he will milk everything out of whatever the roster is, whatever the coaching staff is, and he will put them in position where the margins matter. So the weekend, it's filled with everything, and I'm not going to go into too much depth with the games themselves, but I want to just bring up particular moments because I've also been thinking about that in terms of the two things I read at the top of the show, the Zach Lowe thing about games between elite teams are one on the margins and how I take that further and say, that's gambling, that's life in the NFL, and the Lizel Mueller stuff about what are the odds of this thing occurring and what are the particular individual moments that go into the insurance that it does? That's what I've been thinking about. So this weekend of football, that's, I mean, I'm watching a bunch of college games. I'm watching a bunch of NFL games. And, and I made a short list, and it could be five miles long. Again, it could be a novel because this is the stuff that ends up mattering. It's always funny when you watch some daytime programming on Fox Sports or on ESPN and they're shouting about, well, is Aaron Rodgers better than Kyler Murray? Well, is what's is LeBron better than Kevin Durant? Because they just play, is this, and it's all of these themes and arguments that I go, I don't, maybe I care, maybe I don't, but I think we're getting lost in the overwhelming sense that people have to take grand themes from a bunch of occurrences that happen that a person cannot control that that seem like uh, whatever the outcome of this game is, the odds of it happening in this particular way, they're statistically non-existent. So Florida State and Clemson, they're going out on Saturday. It's not a high up game on the list of what is cool. Clemson's an atrocious football team. Florida State's an atrocious football team. It's a game that's going to be featured on every Bad Beat segment this week and for the remainder of the season because Clemson's up 24-20. to 20. Florida State, they're 9-point, nine 9.5-point nine underdogs, depending where you got them. The total, it's in the high 40s, so the under's hitting. Florida State's hitting, obviously. Not for one second of this entire game was Florida State not covering. Not for one second of this game, obviously, was the under not covering. And yet, on the final play of the game, Florida State has the ball. They're down four. And they start doing the lateral play. And there are very few feelings for a person who is gambling on a game that make you feel more helpless or sick to your stomach than when you've been sitting on a winning ticket all game. If you had the under, if you had Florida State. The laterals are continuing, and they're going backwards, and they're not making progress, and they're going backwards, and they're going backwards, and you're watching it happen, and it's like a slow-motion train wreck, and you feel it coming on, and you go, no, 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 no. And then the ball's on the ground inside the 10, and you're just going, just please just jump on it, Clemson. Show any amount of mercy in your hearts for the people who gambled against you, the people who are covering literally all game. Just show any amount of mercy. And instead, the Clemson defender picks it up and gets hit, 
And just because the universe is cruel and wants you to understand that you suck in general, you can't tell if he's in or out. So they have to review the play and go, ah, and then you're just holding on to that last shred of hope that says, no, this can't be happening. No, not a, no, no, no. This is too rude. Even by the universe's cruel standards, this is too rude. And instead, the refs come out and they say, yeah, it's a touchdown. And Clemson wins 30 to 20. And the over hits. And Clemson hits. And that's the kind of stuff that goes into how a bet is won and lost. Bets are won on the margins. The NFL, going on yesterday. It's a sport where many times, from an outright perspective, from a gambling perspective, the majority of times, all that matters are the margins. Why I always say, no, this isn't... If these two quarterbacks played, Aaron Rodgers did not beat Kyler Murray. The Packers beat the Cardinals. Aaron Rodgers was quarterbacking the Packers. Kyler Murray was quarterbacking the Cardinals. You want to talk about who played better in that particular game? I'm willing to go into the performances of each of those quarterbacks, but it's never as simple as just the way that it is portrayed. Oh, Aaron Rodgers beat Kyler Murray. Um, Colts and the Titans are playing on Sunday, and, and it's never as simple as Ryan Tannehill beat Carson Wentz because there's just this weird amount of plays that go into an overtime loss. And one of them that stood out is it's in the first half and the Indy defender makes a pick and now he's running it back and unfortunately he gets hit and his knee gives out. So now he's obviously going down in pain and the ball plops back out. Refs say, uh, Go to review, sure. Uh, yeah, fumble. Tennessee recovered back the other way, so it's a turnover, then a turnover within the same play. And right after that, they throw a long touchdown to A.J. Brown. Credible swing play. Pittsburgh Steelers are playing the Browns. And near the end of the first half, the Steelers, who are five-and-a-half-point underdogs, it's tied at threes. They can kick a short field goal. Go into the half with the lead, get the ball coming out in the second half, and Tomlin decide, Mike Tomlin, the coach, he decides to run a fake field goal. He found the only quarterback on his roster, magically. The statistical odds of this are almost non-existent. He found the only quarterback on his roster worse than Ben Roethlisberger, Chris Boswell, their kicker, who rolls out to the right and doesn't understand what's going on. And I mean, it's not a fair position for him to be put on. He gets annihilated by a defensive lineman, and the refs don't call a roughing the passer, even though it by the standards of what a roughing the passer is, most clearly was, especially in the way that it's called in present day. And because he's a kicker, nobody really cares. So he gets blasted. He goes flying out of bounds. Um, He gets injured. He smashes his head on the ground. Could have hurt his ribs. Who knows? But he's out for the game, and they don't have another kicker on the roster. The trickle-down effect of this particular play ends up affecting the game greatly. And shockingly, it ends up helping the Steelers because they can't kick field goals. They can't kick extra points. Uh, they go down 10-3. They score a touchdown to go down 10-9. They got to go for two, but they don't get it. But now their hand is forced because, hey, we're pushing them. And, and they get the ball back, and they drive down inside the five, and they stall out, and it's fourth down. And in a normal scenario, I would guess that Mike Tomlin's kicking a field goal to go up 12-10, or if they had a kicker and were tied at 10s, 13-10. Instead, they got to go for it, and they score a touchdown. Pat Fryermuth on a sweet pass from uh, Roethlisberger and a great catch on his part. And then they go for it, don't get it, but that ends up being the winning margin, 15-10. This is the kind of stuff that matters when you bet this sport. This is the kind of stuff that matters when you're trying to determine who is going to win a game outright. Uh, From a gambling perspective, the Rams and the Texans play, and it was a heartbreaker for anybody who bet 
the Rams because they decimated Houston. And this is the first week in a very long time where I couldn't bring myself to bet the Texans. You guys know that I'm a numbers better and I see a number and I say, I just got to bet that I'm not going to think about the teams. I'm going to understand that that number has value in the great abstract understanding of the NFL universe. And I've done that a lot with the Texans because there's been a lot of juicy numbers on the board. And they have one again and it's 16 and a half or you can buy it up to 17. And I'm going, man, that's a good number, but I just can't bet this team anymore. They just keep tripping over themselves and I can't do it. I'm just going to stay away from this game. And I feel vindicated because the Rams are dunking on them. Stafford's thrown for touchdowns. Henderson's run, running for some, catching some. Cooper Cup's doing everything Cooper Cup does. And then in the fourth quarter of the game, after the Texans are down by 8 million points, they start scoring touchdowns and they recover an onside kick and they score more. And then it comes down to a point where it's somehow the spread is in play and they've cut the deficit to 18 at 38 to 20. And they go for two because why not? (laughs) And they get it. And if you bet the Texans, you cash the ticket. And if you bet the Rams, you did not. This is where the margins matter. Bengals Jets. Credible upset for the New York Jets. Comes down to a play at the end. that I love to think about and just go, what is, why do we ever even talk about these games when this is what decides them? Why do we ever think about grand narratives and how much better this quarterback is than this player and all that kind of stuff? Because the Jets are trying to run out the clock. It's third and long. Bengals are down by three. Looks like they're going to get the ball back because they just throw a dump off to Ty Johnson and he gets easily tackled by Bengals defender named Mike Hilton. And then a flag's down and the refs are getting together and they go up. Personal foul, unnecessary roughness, lowered the helmet on the defender. Goes to replay and just looks like Mike Hilton makes a normal tackle and he's there and he doesn't do anything illegal. He's just there in position and Ty Johnson's the one who lowers his helmet into Mike Hilton. And that's why what occurs occurs. And the refs saw that and interpreted it in a manner that was detrimental to the defender, to the Bengals. And so now the Jets, they're running out the clock. And instead of Joe Burrow having the ball in his hands with a chance to tie or take the lead, um, the Jets have sprung a huge upset on the Bengals. This is how the margins matter. Saints and Bucks, an incredible upset for the New Orleans Saints. Playing with their backup quarterback, Trevor Simeon. I'll make a quick note again. Whenever people just want to say this quarterback beat this quarterback and that makes them better, just remember stuff like this. Because there's a whole roster of people and there's a coaching staff and there's all these things that go into a game. And and it's so apparent Because you have a million examples of it all the time, including the Saints-Bucks games, where Jameis Winston goes out with a knee injury, Devin White grabs him and his knee goes the other way and it looks bad, and Taysom Hill's already out with an injury, so they're down to their third-string quarterback. Who is it? It's Trevor Simeon, that little doofus who played for Northwestern and the Broncos and has never been good really at any point. And he comes into a 7-7 game in the first half, and he leads the Saints to a victory over the Bucks in an incredible game that culminates in Tom Brady with a chance to take the lead. Down by two, uh, throwing a pick six to seal the game. I want people to remember that because if you wanted to, you could just say, well, doesn't that make Trevor Simeon better than Tom Brady at this particular game? And, and that's not necessarily how that works. You watch the game and you say, well, I take my hat off to Trevor Simeon because he played nicely. But man, Sean Payton, that is a hell of a football coach. 
And man, that New Orleans Saints defense gives everybody that they see fits. And Dennis Allen, he sure knows how to coordinate a defense, especially one that has as much talent as the Saints have. Within that game, there's a first-half Saints score that occurs once Simeon comes in, and there's three roughing the passer calls on the same drive against Tampa Bay. And I'm watching all of them, and I don't go, I just don't, I don't even know what these are. Dominican Sue has one, and I love Dominican Sue. He's favorite college player of all time. He's one of the only bright spots that has happened in Nebraska Cornhusker football program in two decades. And he hits him, like, right after he releases the ball, and I go, I don't know if that's, that just doesn't seem like one. And then Devin White gets one for grazing his face mask with his hand, like a nice, gentle tap, something that I would do to a, a you know, a niece or a nephew when I go, hey there, pal, hey there, miss. I, I don't know what any of these penalties are anymore when it comes to roughing the passer. I'm not even sure if the refs know. I think they're trained to just say, you're by a quarterback and something occurs, maybe just throw a flag, better safe than sorry. I don't know. The point is this stuff drastically affects the outcome of football games. You see it in the Sunday night game. The exact same thing happens on the Vikings final scoring drive. Cowboys and Vikings, Cowboys end up winning. So this ends up not mattering. But the point is, this is how this game played out. And if the Vikings were to have won, this would play a very big role in it because their last scoring drive has three personal foul penalties on that drive. The late hit here, it's a... roughing the passer here and I'm watching them and I go, I don't know what these are. I just don't. I don't think the refs who are calling them know. The football watching public, I can speak on behalf of very confidently saying we don't know. We don't know what a catch is. We don't know what a personal foul late hit is. We don't know what a roughing the passer is. We don't know when helmet to helmet is legal and not. We don't know any of this stuff. And the refs just call it willy-nilly and it drastically alters what's happening because it's a 15-yard penalty and it's an automatic first down. (laughs) This is all the stuff. Uh, Whether it's Packers-Cardinals, whether it's any of these other games. It's plays like this that decide the outcomes of NFL games over and over and over. It's why we go back to how we started the episode, the Liesl Mueller stuff. Just, man, what are the odds of this particular thing occurring? Chances of being alive together. Um, and it's why Zach Lowe will close with his words. Games between elite teams are won on the margins. <laughs> <laughs>